Good morning. I don't know if you're like me or not, but uh, whenever I have a conversation with someone, whether it's at a coffee shop or on FaceTime or an actual phone call, if you remember those, uh, I will often go an hour, maybe two, into the conversation and then realize there were three or four things I wanted to make sure to communicate. And so I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, just a few things before we finish up and I'll sort of rattle them off. In some ways, I think when we come to this part of Galatians, we are coming to a transition in Paul's thought. Paul has been talking about the theology behind the necessity of not depending on our own work, our own efforts, our own accomplishments, but depending on the work of Jesus Christ alone. And now he is beginning to turn his attention to how does that work itself out in terms of our ethics, our morals, the way we treat other people. The real turning point is the verse we ended with last week. Uh, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Paul is saying, in other words, the thing that should dictate how we behave in this world, how we interact with God, is it should be based in our faith in Jesus Christ, and then powered by that faith, it should work itself out in acts of service and love. And so he's going to turn his attention to this ethical consideration. But it's almost as though Paul says, oh yeah, there are three or four things I want to make sure I mention before we turn our attention to those uh, moral and ethical considerations. And so some uh, commentators, when they look at the verses between verse 7 and verse 12, they say, this is, just, this is just sort of a random collection of sayings that Paul puts together. But I don't think it is at all. I think these are things that Paul wants to make sure to remind the people in Galatia so they don't forget it. These pitfalls... Uh, that people in Galatia and people right here in Colorado Springs often fall into. And so we're going to look at three pitfalls, and then we're going to look at, at one item that I think is a little shocking to everybody. So if you like to take notes, here is our outline, as uh, weird as it may seem. Uh, one, we have to watch out for just a few degrees. Secondly, watch out for the razzle-dazzle. Thirdly, Watch out for the safer strategy. And lastly, we're going to look at Paul's hard line, that last verse that last week when we read uh, the text, uh, I actually heard an audible gasp. And so we're going to talk about that. You know, verse 12 is a little shocking when you're just reading through the Bible. So that's what we're going to do. First of all, we want to talk about just a few degrees. Because here in verse 7, it's interesting that Paul says he uses a race analogy. He says, you are running well. And in this expression, he is thinking of the Galatian Christians as people who are in a long distance race. And he said, the gun went off and off you went and your form was great. You were looking super. But then as uh, one writer said it, it's almost as though someone came from the stands and ran out onto the course and knocked you off the path. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? In other words, Paul is saying sometimes we start incredibly well, but we get off course. And I call it a few degrees because I want us to understand 
that it only takes a change in course of a few degrees to end up in a very different location than you expected. For those of you who have sailed, I know we're more of an Air Force crowd than we are a Navy crowd here. Uh, but for those of you who sailed, you know if you're on a large body of water and you have your heading off just by a degree or two, you can end up in Africa rather than Central America. I mean, it really does throw things off. And that's true in the Christian life as well. If we just get a few degrees off, at first it won't seem like our course is different at all. But over the weeks, months, and years, we end up somewhere different. To bring this back to what Paul has been teaching, we might say to ourselves, well, I know that I am saved completely by the grace of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but surely it won't hurt if I'm a little judgmental about this item over here, or surely it can't really affect too much if I have a little self-satisfaction in my accomplishment in this area or that. But by including those things in the way we think about our relationship with God, we are allowing ourselves to be off course by a degree or two, maybe five, maybe 10. And over time, that little bit of self-righteousness because of my moral behavior will simply grow. That little bit of judgment about that thing that other people do that I do so much better will only get more intense. And before long, We've forgotten about grace and our complete dependence upon Jesus altogether. Paul says, beware. You started well. Don't let anyone hinder you. And I love that. It reminds me of uh, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1 and 2. There the writer wants us to be determined to keep our eyes fixed on a point that will keep us on track. Listen to what he says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him in doing of God. Here the writer uses a similar analogy. You're running. Don't let anything, don't let anything entangle you. Don't let anything trip you up. How do we do that? We keep our eyes on Jesus. I know. You're like, how in the world does this guy get paid to come in here every week and tell us the same thing over and over again? <laughs> it's just keeping our eyes, our heart, our faith on Jesus. Do you know why I get to do that every single week? Because you forget it every single day, right? Don't, I mean, I do. I, I, I don't want to make you feel bad. I forget it every day. I mean, goodness, later on this afternoon, I'll say, think, or do something that will show and so that Jesus alone is my righteousness. It happens just like that. And so Paul says, beware. Continue to run the race well. Don't let anyone knock you off course. Secondly, I want us to talk about a little razzle-dazzle. little razzle-dazzle. Now, uh, I don't even know why razzle-dazzle came into my mind. I could have been thinking about 1970s musicals. I have no idea. But it's the flash over the substance, right? Razzle-dazzle. We know what that is. You know, the dog and pony 
you know, the, the lights and, and smoke effect, right? You know, that sort of thing. And too often we are drawn to people or ministries or teaching or books that seem exciting and flashy and say new things. And the people in Galatia were no different. Notice uh, what he says. He says, uh, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. This word persuasion is a very unusual word. It's only uh, used here by Paul. Uh, but what he's talking about is this an influence, this ability to deter you. Uh, this, uh, if you will, peer pressure that's been brought to bear. He goes, that's not from the one who calls you. And he's not referring to himself. He's referring to God through the power of the Spirit who has called people to follow uh, after Jesus, believing only in him. And he, he says, look, there's always going to be a persuasion out there. And it's always going to look more exciting. It's always going to be able to speak just a little bit better. It's always going to be packaged, you know, with a little bit more pizzazz. He says, but be careful. Because we need to ask the question, where is that bright and shiny persuasion? Where is it really coming from? Paul says, this didn't come from the one who called you. In other words, there always is the siren call away from faithful dependence upon Jesus. It's just the way it is, right? How did Paul approach this? It's interesting. When he describes his own uh, methodology, he describes it in 2 Corinthians uh, verse 1 through 5. Listen to Paul's uh, philosophy of ministry when he thinks about how he tries to teach the Word of God. He says to the Corinthians uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the wisdom of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I love that. What Paul is saying is my TikTok channel would have had very few views, right? You know, I would not have made the top 10 trending YouTube websites. You know, he, did, he wasn't flashy. He, was, he wasn't over the top. He wasn't necessarily even that enthusiastic. He just told the truth about how to be right with God. Now, I want to camp on this just for a second because we live in a world full of razzle-dazzle, don't we? And I'm not just talking about the, the call of the non-Christian world, that world that would have us chase after having more stuff having more money, having better looks, you know, that all the commercials out there explaining to you how you can live a life of purpose and meaning. You know, uh, my favorite are the one and a half minute drug commercials, right? Right, I mean, this is the world we live in. We have a commercial come on and it's got very attractive people. And they tell us that uh, they are living a much, right? Now, I don't know why they were so self-conscious about that. I don't know how often they walked around barefooted, uh, but they look very happy. They're throwing Frisbees. They're having barbecues. They're smiling. 
You know, and uh, while you're watching them do this, the narrator is talking as fast as he can or she can, explaining to you that in order to live this great life of no toenail fungus, you might die of liver failure. Uh, Your kidneys could go. Uh, It most likely will land you in the hospital or possibly even death. But boy, the good life you'll live in the meantime, right? Right, that's the story of the world. And I don't know about you, but I watch almost all those commercials and I say, you know what? The risks seem a lot worse than the advantages of that medication. Now, if you're a drug rep and you're sitting here and we know who you are because you're better looking and better styled than the rest of us, uh, all the physicians got that joke, thank you very much. But it is, uh, I'm not telling you not to continue to try to make our lives better through pharmacy, but Really? You see, sometimes we think about that and we think, yeah, the world is always trying to sell us something. But folks, in the Christian world, in the United States, someone is always trying to sell you a spiritual truth that isn't necessarily true. They're trying to convince you that it really is up to you. That it really is about how much you do, or more precisely, if it's a really big ministry, about how much you give. It's really about, you know, how you look and how you perform or how you vote or how you do whatever else it is that you do. And the subtle implication is God will like you a lot better if you do this. And usually those ministries are a lot better at the razzle-dazzle than us folks here at Village 7 Presbyterian Church. I'll be honest, our razzle-dazzle level is pretty low, right? Today I can barely even talk, so there you go. You know, the only razzle-dazzle we ever have is a Christmas concert, and we filled this place with fog. But other than that, you know, I mean, it's pretty straight up. Why? Because we don't want you to be convinced because of how loud or obnoxious the preacher is or about how uh, extraordinary the service is. We want you to read this book and ask that God will show you what does it say. We want to follow the pattern of Paul. Now, I love it here in this uh, message. I I love in verse 9, Paul gives us this little proverb that I think is very helpful. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And this is not an uncommon thing. Over to the Corinthians, he uses that as an example of someone who is uh, uh, participating in some pretty immoral behavior. And he's saying if the church doesn't deal with that, then it can actually spread. And here he's talking about people who've bought into the razzle-dazzle of this persuasion that's not from God. And he says, it just takes a little bit. It just takes one or two people. And before long, it spreads to the whole congregation. Some of you are old enough to have seen this happen in, in churches, seen this happen in your small group, seen this happen in your community, where somebody gets a hold of some going to be right with God, and before long it spreads, and the leaders of the church are like firefighters trying to put it out. Paul says we have to be careful. We have to guard our hearts. It might be shiny and pretty and exciting, but it is not what you've been taught from the Word of God. And we need to be careful lest participants spread. You know, that's what you do as faithful participants in small groups and communities and in this church is you keep your ears peeled, if that's an expression. Listening, is this based in the Word of God? Or is this something that sounds exciting but isn't necessarily true? And you listen because we don't want it to spread. But Paul is confident 
that they're not going to be persuaded. They're not going to ultimately, you know, be led astray. Notice he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. Now, of course, some of you are saying, how could Paul have that confidence? He's already written four and a half chapters where he's very concerned that they are adopting this rather spectacular persuasion that it's not from the Lord. How can he be confident? And I love the little expression I don't want you to miss. I said it twice already. Where is Paul's confidence? I have confidence in the Lord. Isn't that great? I don't know about you, but I've got friends that I'm not so sure where they are right now in terms of how they're thinking, how they're believing. Uh, you might have relatives, you might have people very dear to you, and you're not sure whether or not they are under some persuasion other than the one uh, that called them to follow Jesus Christ by faith and faith alone. And you say, I just feel nervous. I would say to you, please repent of your nervousness and have confidence in the Lord. Here, Paul says, my confidence is in you because you can change on a dime. My confidence is in the Lord who never changes. My confidence is in the Lord who knows all things and has all power in all the universe. He says, my confidence is in the Lord that he will superintend your faith from where it is until glory. And I like that. What a great encouragement to us who are concerned, not only about ourselves, but others who might have been distracted, might be led astray. Put your confidence in God's ability and in his strength. I think that's important to us, right? Because if we put our confidence in our ability to pull those people back, then we will usually alienate them. We'll usually harm that relationship because we feel like we can do something only God can do. Instead, put your confidence in the Lord and continue to let your faith work through love in the person in your life. But thirdly, notice Paul makes this comment about what would be a safer strategy. Now, we don't know how this came up, but somehow it must have been suggested by the false teachers in Galatia that Paul, at least at some point in his past, did preach the necessity of circumcision. You know, and so Paul addresses that question. Notice verse 11. If I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Now, I think this is interesting, and it takes us a second to think through this. What is Paul saying? And where in the world could people have gotten the idea that Paul preached or taught people to pursue circumcision as a way to be closer to God? Now, they could have been thinking about his pre-conversion lifestyle. Without a doubt, Paul was a zealot. Paul was trying to keep the, the Jewish faith very pure. He was trying to keep Jewish adherents in line. So much so that he persecuted uh, the Jewish people who embraced the good news about Jesus Christ. He pursued them from town to town. And I can only imagine that as he was doing that, he pointed to the necessity of uh, faith in God and the mark of God's people, circumcision. Perhaps that's what they're referring to. We just simply don't know. But I want us to think about Paul's connection 
between preaching circumcision and persecution, or as he says in the second part of verse 11, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. What is the connection between not preaching this sign of circumcision and being persecuted? And how does that connect with the offense of the cross? Well, let's walk uh, through it. And is there is a way to avoid persecution in the world, and that is to remove as many offenses as possible. I mean, isn't the church going through this right now? In 2023, we are still in 2023, right? I don't know why I have trouble with that these days. Uh, it started with COVID. I think that's a lingering effect of COVID for me. I don't know the day, I don't know the year. You know, people say that happened a couple of years ago. I'm like, was that before or after COVID, right? That's, that's how I date things now, but it's very confusing. Nonetheless, here in 2023, the Church of Jesus Christ who's trying to hold to the Bible is under a lot of pressure from other churches and the world to get rid of some inconvenient truths that the scripture teaches. Some things that the world would just wish that they didn't exist. You know, moral principles, you know, about our sexual choices or sexual orientations and all of these things. And the church is under immense pressure. You need to downplay this. You need to come around on this. You need to decide the Bible's wrong about this. And this is just the latest stage. This has been going on for 2,000 years uh, where the church, parts of the church and parts of the culture will work together to try to remove things that people find offensive. And if you do that, the world certainly will not persecute you, but you will also have no good news for the world. If this book is not given by God, is not true in every word, every phrase, if it is not God's wisdom for us, then why are we wasting our time looking at it? Does it actually make us better people? My experience in ministry is no, not by much. So why spend all the time on it? But if I remove the offense, then everybody in the world's like, well, at least you're a harmless Christian, but you're also a powerless Christian because you have nothing to base your confidence, your hope, your faith on. Paul says, yeah, sure, you can avoid persecution by going with the flow, by being circumcised, by uh, just simply acquiescing to the works of these teachers. You can do that, but then you have lost the faith, that's what Paul's been saying throughout Galatians. Yes, you won't be persecuted, but no, you won't have a faith that will endure forever. And he says, that's just it. I've had to make that, own, that decision in my own ministry, Paul says. He says, if I wanted to avoid persecution, I could remind all my Jewish brothers and sisters that I agree with them completely. I don't disagree with them about anything, and that would be fine, but where's the cross? He says that the offense of the cross would be removed. What is he talking about? The cross says something really profound. Now, some people say, well, maybe he's referring to the fact, uh, like he says to the Corinthians, that the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews, and it is nonsense, uh, effectively. It is uh, uh, foolish uh, to the Gentiles. But I think he means something more specific here. The cross is offensive. Because the death of Jesus on the cross on our own. If God had to send his son 
to live a perfect life. It could only be because there was no other way for us to be right with God. We would never, can never, do enough, work hard enough, think well enough, speak well enough, perform well enough to be right with God. It takes the Son of God dying on a cross. Every other methodology that might come with great flash and razzle-dazzle is trying to remove the offense. It's trying to remove that offense to my pride that I can do it myself. The cross says, no, you can't. You never could. You never will. And so Paul is saying, look, if I preach circumcision, I'd be saying Jesus died for nothing. He's already said that in the book of Galatians. But yet that's the temptation, isn't it? And Paul says that's a choice. And when we do that, while it may be safer, it leads to no salvation. So there you go. Lastly, we need to deal with this last verse in the time that we have. Uh, I mean, verse 12 is pretty straight up, isn't it? I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, this sounds very unapostolic. I mean, this is a mean thing to say. Why would Paul wish that someone would emasculate themselves? And I know, I, I'm probably not going to say that word anymore. It makes me uncomfortable. You know, I know a lot of our men away on the men's retreat. I still don't want to talk about it, right? Uh, but what is he saying? Why does he say this? Well, there are a couple theories. Uh, one, there uh, was a mystery religion uh, in the area of Galatia. Uh, which was very interesting. They uh, worshiped uh, a god uh, called Sybil. Uh, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. And one of their rites including, included their priest actually performing male organ removal. I don't know that that makes me feel any better. Uh, as part of, yeah, that feels bad too. We'll have to come up with another word for that. Uh, they practice this... Uh, Elective surgery, that feels better, you know, as part of their religious rite. It was part of a way of them suggesting that their, their God and goddess was, was coming back from the dead, if you will. And it was very common. So this whole idea of a priest who uh, have uh, had this elective surgery might have been something that the people in Galatia would have understood. And so when Paul is saying these people who are troubling you theologically should go ahead and have this radical elective surgery, he might be saying, if you subscribe to you need something other than faith in Jesus like circumcision, you might as well go back to your old pagan religion, which is radical. And he's already done this. We've already talked about this in the book of Galatians, that Paul actually compares legalistic observance of the worship of God under the old rubrics of Judaism with the paganism that existed in Galatia. He says there's no difference because both are rejecting the free offer of God's grace for all who would simply put their trust in Christ and Him alone. So perhaps that's what he means, or perhaps he is really just reiterating something he's already said back uh, in chapter 1. If you go back there in verse 8 and 9, 
Paul said something that, to be honest, may not have hit you as radical as what he says here in chapter 5, verse 12, but I assure you it's far more significant what he says. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we once preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Now, that may not hit our our eardrums quite as radical as uh, chapter 5, verse 12, but it's a lot worse. I mean, Jesus asked the question, which is better for you to enter in uh, to heaven with one hand or to go into hell with two? To be thrown into hell, a complete physical specimen, or to be missing a part, you know, and head, to, uh, head into heaven. It is, uh, in other words, what's worse? Losing a, a part, of the male, part of the male anatomy or being a curse forever apart from God. Now, I know that in our minds, we, we think in a very immediate way. We think about the here and now, and, and we think to ourselves, well, the elective surgery sounds worse to me than being a curse. But, but you do understand that it, there is no comparison. Being separated from the love and presence of God for all eternity, not enjoying any truth or beauty or the power of God on your behalf, you cannot even imagine the difficulty and suffering that ensues. As a matter of fact, the Bible uses imagery like fire and worms not dying and the smell of sulfur and all of these descriptions. And people say, oh, that sounds so, so terrible. It's not the half of it. You see, you've never lived a single day without benefiting from the common grace of God. You never lived a single moment without enjoying his mercy, his beauty, his truth. To imagine an eternity with zero of it is absolutely beyond my imagination. Paul is using such strong language because as far as he is concerned, whether or not you put your trust in Jesus and him alone, or whether you compromise the gospel by trying to add your efforts, is an issue of life and death. Yes, Paul is a hardliner. He's a hardliner, but it's because God has revealed to him the truth that that decision really does make all the difference. Will you trust in your efforts or will you trust just in Jesus? Paul uses the stinging language. So the audience in Galatia and our audience here in Colorado Springs might wake up a little bit and say, this is a serious situation. This is a serious situation. Do we treat it with the gravitas that it deserves? Or are we still playing around with just a few degrees of self-righteousness? Are we still susceptible to the razzle-dazzle of this world? You know, are we still looking for that persecution-free path in the Christian life? I pray that 
we have said no to all of these errors and that we can say, nope, all I've got is Jesus today, tomorrow, and forever. May that be true for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that Paul uh, was not led by the Spirit just to jump to the next section, but that he reminded us of these pitfalls and the crucial decision, Lord, that needs to be made to depend only on Jesus Christ. We pray, O oh Lord, that we will learn and grow and through your spirit and through the will and grace of our Lord that you will maintain our faith, that you will correct our course, that you will keep us from being distracted and that we will embrace, we would rather be found in Christ than to be well-loved here but be found outside of him. We love you, Lord. We know that you give us now great peace and joy, and for eternity you will give us delights beyond measure if we stay the course. Keep us close, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.